Bugs, Bugs, and More Bugs. Ah, and Colonial Pipeline is back in the news. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug Ameth. He is Paul Ducklin. Hello, folks. And Paul, we'd like to start the show with a fun fact. And we'll be talking a little bit about this later in the show, but I'd like to submit to you that RADIO is actually an acronym. It stands for Rural Area Delivery of Information and Organization. Well, Doug, there you go. And I don't feel that I need to hold back from telling you that I think that backronym is a load of Douglas. Oh, here we go. I don't think that's true at all. My studies of this, and this is backed up by the Oxford Dictionary of English, which I consulted on the matter, suggests that radio, which I've never seen in early publications written in all capitals, like it would be if it were originally an acronym. It's a good uh, point. I've never seen that either. It, yeah. it actually comes from the Latin word radius, like in the radius of a circle, which means ray, beam. And that is why it is called radio. So I don't believe your acronym at all, Douglas. Well, Apart from I, that great fun fact. <laughs> I found it on Google.com. And if you can't trust what you find on Google.com, then what's the point? Anywho, uh, speaking of not trusting things, uh, let, let's talk about this Ruby Gems bug. And normally I would intro this story with some sort of witty phraseology or something. I, I can't do it. I'm just going to quote you in the article because this just did it perfectly. You say, the bug, it seems, involved a slip twixt the authentication cup and the activation lip. Yes, that's how I read this, Doug. It was an unfortunate bug. The good news is that it was in the back end and the server side of the rubygems.org platform which is a, a repository for hundreds of thousands of Ruby modules. So, you know, if you use Node, JavaScript, you're familiar with NPM. If you use Python, PyPy. Uh, in Ruby, they're called gems. <laughs> That's a joke, I suppose. And uh, the problem was that it was a little bit like showing up pretending to be Franklin Delano Roosevelt and being able to prove it, giant air quotes, by showing a document that gave your first name as Frank. And then the inference is sort of, well, if your name starts like that, you probably own the rest of the name as well and the rest of the identity. The idea is that, say you had a, a RubyGems package called Doug-TextEdit, then if you didn't also have a package or own, if you, if you like, own the rights to control the name of a package Doug, then somebody else could register the name Doug as belonging to them. And then they could come along and later submit a request to remove or yank your package out because the authentication said, ah, you own Doug. Therefore, we'll assume that you also own the package Doug dash text edit. So the, the package name had to have a dash in it. The idea was you could then remove the package and immediately replace it with one that essentially has the same version number. Now, normally, no one who is actually updating their own code would ever do that, would they? 
You're going to update your code, you give it a new version number so everyone knows, hey, there's a new version, and you can tell the old one from the new one. And indeed, I imagine that a lot of projects and contributors, particularly if the name before up to the first dash in their project is, say, the name of the organization or of the project, they're going to take care that other people can't register sub-projects. So they're going to lock down that name and all the, the sub-names, if you like. So you'd imagine that no one would probably go looking for a bug like this until, I imagine, somebody accidentally tripped over it. And the reason I gave that idea of the authentication cup and the activation lip is that it didn't put the names together and say, well, let's check that your authentication also applies to the project that you now wish to delete. One of those reminders that managing your software supply chain can be very difficult when there are so many other people's code, not only in the stuff, the packages that you're downloading, but in the code that looks after the security of the packages you're downloading. So in this case, it could be a supply chain attack, say, against your Doug-TextEdit project without you yourself having to give away any authentication tokens or you yourself actually getting hacked. It would just be an abuse of the fact that you decided not also to have a project called Doug, which you're under no obligation to do. Okay, so we have some advice for people. It sounds like if you're a Ruby or RubyGems user, you don't have to do anything because this is on the server side. Yes. However, you might want to make sure whether any of your packages were affected or not. It also doesn't apply if the project is less than 30 days old, i.e. it's very new, or you updated it at some time with a new version number in the last 100 days. Why 30 and 100? No idea. Yeah, that, that does mean... <laughs> it's bizarre. Yes, but those are the circumstances. And it's good that the Ruby Gems security bulletin makes all that clear, because it does mean if you want to say, could I possibly have been affected by this? It gives you extra things you can check against. The irony perhaps here is that any project that hasn't been updated for more than 100 days, maybe that's because it's an old project that's not really getting any love or attention anymore. And that means that it's more likely that any unauthorized changes would go unnoticed. Having said that, bless their hearts, the Ruby Gems team did their best to go through projects that might have been at risk and have a look to see whether any had this kind of unauthorized change. And then if there were anywhere that had happened for legitimate reasons, they could go in and actually look at the before and after and judge that whether it was legitimate or not. And they seemed pretty confident uh, that nobody was affected, but they still gave you the wherewithal to go and check your own logs. Uh, I'm not a Ruby Gems person, but apparently the place you want to go to is called gemfile.lock. And you can look for evidence of any projects of yours, any modules, packages that were yanked and replaced without the version number being changed. All right. And we've got some advice for programmers, but we will let you, if you are a programmer, head to the article to check that out. This is called Ruby Gems Supply Chain Rip and Replace Bug Fixed. Check your logs on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And next up is a weird Google Docs bug that has unfortunately been fixed because I wanted to recreate this in my own account and I could <laughs> I not. Know. I was very I, I excited. Found myself, I found myself in that ironic tension too, Doug. Like you're thinking, oh, great, I want to see this. 
this is so fun. And I'll pick one of the truly weird words that causes it, that just because it's so amusing and you can afford to laugh at it because not much harm is done. Ultimately, you can, when it crashes, you can get the document that you were editing at the time back if you want. <laughs> yeah, this but is a it, seldom, it, a, a rare fun bug. <laughs> yeah, but it, and it just reminded me of that joke that you may have learned in English language classes at school, you know, where the teacher says, can you make a sentence with the word, a legitimate sentence with the word and repeated five times in a row? At least in, in England, the way, the way that joke goes is there's a pub owner who decides he wants to get the pub sign repainted and the pub is called the Rosen Crown. And the sign writer comes and he redoes the sign and he says to the publican, hey, come and have a look at it. And the pub owner comes out and has a look and is really disappointed and he blurts out, I hate it. You haven't left enough space between rose and 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 crown. <laughs> Very funny, Doug. <laughs> I guess you have to be there. I'm just ha- and- I'm just dreading having to reread this uh, article title at the end of this segment. So, In this case, if you put the word and five times in a row, but not in the form of the sentence I just said, that wouldn't do it. It had to be and with a capital A, like it's starting a sentence, full stop, period, space, and, period, and. So you had to write a sentence, a full sentence with a leading capital letter consisting only of the word and, and then you had to repeat it five times and Google Docs would crash. And it only did it if grammar checking was on. How See if in you can the figure world, out where the bug was. <laughs> how in the world would you would anyone figure this out? How how is some some the some the discovery of some of these bugs is just, just mind boggling sometimes. I did see a story somewhere online, and I couldn't figure out whether that was a kind of meta joke. Is that somebody was writing some kind of a poem where they had a reason why they needed to do this? And they couldn't believe it, and they were able to repeat it, and then word got around. And of course, once news started circulating that this was a bug that it's kind of okay to exploit because, like, you're not doing really any harm to anyone else. <laughs> there, was, there was actually a chap, Doug, called Joshua David, who decided, right, I want to know all of the words that will do this. Because a few people had thought maybe it's because you're not supposed to have a conjunction in a sentence of its own, it doesn't make sense. So the next thing to try is, well, let's try conjunctions. So people quickly thought of, but, therefore, anyway, besides. So those were found by guesswork. But Joshua D figured, no, 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 no. Dictionary attack. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I kid you not. And obviously, I I presume he found out that if you take the first word in the dictionary, you go aardvark, 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 aardvark. I've forgotten how many. I'm not going to try and say five of them. Or make a sentence. That would be hard. I presume he found that if you use the Google Docs API with some like webby thing to go, create me a new document, paste in these five words, wait a while, did it crash? Yes, no. Then to do that once for every word was really, really slow. So I figured, well, what if I batch them up in the hope of finding batches that are big enough that most of the time it doesn't crash and then I can eliminate all those words. So apparently he settled on 500 words at a time. And he put the first 500 words in the dictionary. Did it crash? No. Eliminate those. Go on. And then when he found one that crashed, he'd work out um, using a sort of binary chop approach how many words of the 500 actually caused the crash. And he, he produced the definitive list. And the exciting thing, Doug, was he found out that there are some adverbs that do it, in particular numerical adverbs. Firstly, secondly, thirdly, fourthly. But then he found 
to his surprise, <laughs> fifthly, sixthly, and so on, and even fourteenthly, well, Google Docs doesn't care about those, Doug. Amazing. It is a reminder, is it not, Douglas, that if you think that there's any bug out there that is dangerous but so obscure that nobody will ever find it, think again. Think again, exactly. Well, that uh, bug, unfortunately, as we said, has been fixed, so you can't recreate this, but you can read all about it. That is called You Didn't Leave Enough Space Between Rose and 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 Crown on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. Nailed it. Well, it is time for This Week in Tech History segment, and we talked a little bit about radio earlier in the show. And this week, on May 10th, 1894, Italian inventor Guglielmo Marconi sent a wireless radio signal three-quarters of a mile. Fast forward three years, and the Marconi company would send a so-called ship-to-shore signal 12 miles, helping pave the way to radio technologies we still use to this day. Yes, How about that? amazing stuff. And the great thing about uh, Mr. Marconi is that he wasn't discouraged when he was determined to try and send a wireless message across the Atlantic Ocean by people who said it'll never work. Because, as we know from the start of the show, Doug, the word radio comes from radius, which means <laughs> a ray or beam, which yep. of electromagnetic radiation goes in a straight line. And so the Earth's round. It really is, folks. And therefore, when you, when you beam the radio out, once someone's over the horizon, the radius is going to shoot over their head. And when you get to the other side of the ocean, well, the person would have to basically be in orbit. So it's not going to work. But maybe there was a, a band of electrically charged particles around the Earth, which indeed there is. As we now know, Doug, um, as any ham radio enthusiast will tell you, can get radio signals all the way around the world. Well, you can get them halfway round, which is good enough, because you can get the skip multiple times, I do believe, under ideal circumstances. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you for the additional context, as always. And uh, speaking of additional context, Colonial Pipeline, back in the news, continuing to prove that, as you say, cybersecurity is a journey, not a destination. Yes, indeed. This time, it's not another ransomware attack. It's just news, amazingly, from the U.S. Department of Transportation. In fact, it's from the a body called PHMSA, FUMSA. I don't know how you say it. And that really needs an acronym that's pronounceable, not just a, an initialism, because it's the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration. And it turns out that they had, in fact, been auditing Colonial Pipeline, as you'd expect. This giant pipeline needs to get reviewed every so often. And they reviewed it between January and November 2020. So that's the year before the ransomware attack happened. So Colonial Pipeline would probably have been in trouble anyway. Um, and it looks like they're going to get a penalty of just shy of $1 million for shortcomings. Uh, but the particularly relevant thing here to cybersecurity is the kind of problems that were revealed. They're exactly the kind of problems that were found in their what's called their SCADA or their operational, their OT, their operational technology network exactly the same sort of problems that security operations teams need to worry about in an IT or an information technology network. 
and as the I'll try and say, as the PHMSA alleges, uh, the failures. I guess what made it worse is that, in their opinion, the failures in the pipeline side of the network contributed to the national impact when the pipeline remained out of service after the May 2021 cyber attack, the re- the ransomware incident. And to put not too fine a point upon it, the big thing, which is 85% worth of the fine, is simply that the the safety administration figured that Colonial Pipeline did not have a satisfactory advance plan, basically, for how they would do a manual reboot. And one of the things, apparently, they didn't get fined for this bit, but equally important, uh, they basically failed to test their backup processes and procedures. Where have we spoken about that before, Douglas? Yeah, that seems like something you should be doing on a regular basis. Before you jump on a high horse to shout at Colonial Pipeline, that a lot of people, mistakes that a lot of people are managing to make anyway. And the reason I regrettably have to say that goes back to our ransomware survey 2022, which we spoke about in a recent podcast. Because in there, if you think about it, during 2021, two thirds of our respondents, and remember this is across lots of different sizes of business in lots of different countries. What was it? 5,600 people, 30 different countries, companies from small to 5,000. Two thirds of those people said, actually, yeah, we did have a ransomware attack. Of those, two thirds said, and we didn't manage to head it off before the really bad bit happened, where everything ground to a halt because of encryption. And of those, one half said, we ended up having to pay. We had no choice but to do a deal with the devil. And when you multiply two-thirds times two-thirds times a half, that means that one-fifth of the people in our ransomware survey seem to have fallen foul of at least one of the things that are listed in this report on Colonial Pipeline's operational technology network. So before you go, oh, well, I'd be better than that, go and read the report and make sure that you haven't inadvertently made any of those blunders yourself. So it's easy to point a finger at Colonial Pipeline and go, oh, golly, well, I I knew they did something wrong. But I suspect there are going to be a lot of companies out there that basically because life is hard and time is short and cybersecurity is an ever-changing discipline, there are going to be things in there that I think a lot of companies would go, if only we could do something about that problem in our organization. Wouldn't it be nice if there was like a service that you could use that were you know, someone else would look after your cybersecurity for you. Like, for example, if if we had one of those, we'd probably call it, you know, Sophos Rapid Response or Sophos Managed Threat Response, if we had them. Yes. Just saying, Doug. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not in sales. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. After you've had a malware attack, removing the malware is usually the easy part. It's that network time machine of going back, finding out how the guys got in. What else did they do while they were in there? How many extra accounts did they create? How many servers did they add? How many virtual machines did they stand up that you didn't even realize were there? How easy would it be for them to get back in next time? How easy would it be for them to sell access on to the next gang of cyber crooks for them to return at will? And that's the problem that you need to be looking at where you are now these days really closely and paying attention to all those alerts. You need to be looking for what can we do to prevent as many attacks as possible proactively 
and we need to be looking back in case there was an attack we missed with the best will in the world that left behind something that we just simply wouldn't have noticed if we didn't go looking. And that's why getting a third party in to do managed threat response, it's not an admission of failure. It's like saying, I need to have some plumbing done. I can try and do it myself, better buy lots of buckets and sponges, because I'm bound to have loads of leaks and make loads of blunders. Or let me get someone in who only and always does that for a living. That's what they do professionally and purposefully. My sink keeps clogging and I'm just going to keep plunging it versus why don't I get a plumber in here to figure out why the sink keeps keeps clogging? Yes. And even worse, well, I'm going to buy a bigger plunger. <laughs> it's not only that don't keep doing the same old thing and hoping that it will have a different result one time. Don't go with, oh, well, I'll just be more aggressive. Sometimes breadth, depth, and subtlety, particularly in cybersecurity, are more important than just saying, well, I'll, I'll do something, anything. You have to do the right thing, otherwise you might as well not bother. All right. Well, that is Colonial Pipeline facing $1 million fine for poor recovery plans on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And it's time to hear from one of our readers. This is uh, last week was World Password Day, and we have a password question. It is a good one. Can you please make a comment on how good the save password utilities are that come with browsers and operating systems? I am thinking Apple's Safari and Firefox in particular. The passwords are long and look as a random as a monkey typing on a keyboard. Are they stored reasonably securely? I don't use Microsoft very often, having gravitated to Apple some years ago, so I don't even know if Edge generates random passwords. And I can take that last part, Paul, if you don't mind. I use Edge. I use the, It does have a built-in password manager. So if you use Edge on your desktop and Edge on your mobile, those passwords will sync up. And then you can also use Microsoft's Authenticator app, which has a password feature in it, that stores all your passwords that you enter into Edge. So I've been using that now instead of uh, LastPass. So I, uh, I think it works well. I, I can't speak to the security of it, but I, you have to trust that uh, the Microsoft Authenticator app is reasonably secure. So that's what I've been using, and it works well. Perhaps the single disadvantage of a browser-based password manager is that it doesn't help you with passwords that aren't browser-based. Now, for, for many people, that, if you do all your stuff in the cloud, you know, webmail, cloud-based website, cloud-based blogging, all of that stuff, it probably doesn't matter. But for some people, maybe if you look after a few servers or you're looking after a home network, you might want to store a whole load of other passwords as well, like your router password, your webcam password, and all of that stuff. And since that particular questioner was asking about Apple gear, my recommendation is if you do have an Apple device, an Apple computer, look into what Apple calls Keychain. It has had some security bugs in the past. I guess which password manager hasn't. But the good news is you know how keen Apple is on locking everything down so you can't unlock your iPhone completely even if you want to. Well, Apple itself uses Keychain for its own apps and services. So it must have a fair bit of faith in it. And the nice thing is that it can do all of those things. It can remember personal passwords like your router or Wi-Fi passwords for coffee shops you go to. It can remember passwords that it will automatically apply or ones that you have to type in your, your unlock the, pass, the keychain every time. Uh, Apple also has a thing called iCloud Keychain, 
which will synchronize your store your password centrally in the cloud so that if you lose your laptop or if you you know you then buy a new laptop you want to share passwords with someone else under controlled circumstances you can and the good news is these days any password manager worth its salt stores your passwords in the cloud but it stores them encrypted with your password that the cloud storage service never knows so it's not that apple won't look at your passwords and be naughty it can't so it can't even hand them over to law enforcement it's kind of like having end-to-end encryption in messaging you're not relying on the encryption being managed by some intermediate party along the way so that's my advice if you've got apple look into the apple keychain system because it's there for you it's not compulsory to use it it's just a good starting point for understanding what a general purpose password manager rather than a browser specific password manager can do for you all right very good that was sent in by naked security reader john so john thank you for that question and if you have an interesting story comment or question you'd like to submit we'd love to read it on the podcast you can email tips at sophos.com you can comment on any one of our articles or you can hit us up on social at naked security that's our show for today thanks very much for listening for paul ducklin i'm doug ameth reminding you until next time to Stay, Stay secure. secure.